Hi, welcome to episode 7 of the Family Films Podcast. I'm here direct from the United Kingdom, this is Ms. MC Fluff Ion, or otherwise known as I own a trailer McFluff Ion. Ha ha, ha ha. Anyhow, on to our show. As I sit down here in my office, I just finished a nice cup of hot tea, mint tea to be, exact. You know, it's quite delicious. Today, we get to hear a very interesting and long interview conducted with impressionist, Jim Bailey before he passed away. Jim portrayed a number of amazing characters, both on stage and on screen, you may know he is most well known for his work as a Judy Garland impressionist. Now wait, you may be wondering did we say someone, named Jim? Yes, until you see a video of him as Judy, then you will understand, it is more than just an act, yes see for yourself, and mind, you, yes mind you this is serious, not any short of any rubbish. Chero O, again, this is Ms. McFluff Ion, enjoy the interview Aaron Pass in Teen recorded with Jim, Bailey. Jim Bailey is an internationally acclaimed singer, character actor, and comedian. He is known for winning the world over with his portrayal as Judy Garland, as we all know, who gave us Dorothy in the classic 1939, The Wizard of Oz. He has appeared in Carnegie Hall, The London Millennium, including The Tonight Show, 14 times. Among those, Good Morning America, The Today Show, CNN, and E! Entertainment. He has even performed for the Queen of England in the late Princess Diana and Prince Charles. We are pleased to have Jim. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Oh, good. I'm very glad to have been able to finally do this interview with you, so thank you. <laughs> the long-awaited interview. Yes, a long-awaited interview. Well, if you can go ahead and please um, tell everybody about um, your upbringing and where you grew up. Well, I was born in Philadelphia, and uh, I grew up, uh, part, I guess, till I was about 10 in Philadelphia, and then we moved to New Jersey. And um, I went to school in Philadelphia, and also then I continued my education in New Jersey. And um, I studied, uh, I, I was very much into music. So uh, I first studied violin when I was very young. And then I went on to, um, uh, my goal was to be a concert pianist. So I studied piano also. And um, while I was, uh, I gave it, I was my piano teacher. We, she had a recital and um, I played at the recital. I played uh, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, which is not the easiest thing in the world to play. But for some reason, I don't know what happened, but one day um, at her house, she had some music on the piano, and I was waiting for her to finish another uh, appointment. And I was singing. I just picked up this music. I don't know what it was. I can't remember what the song was. But I was singing with it, and she came into the room, and she said, uh, she called me James. And she said, James, you have a beautiful voice. Have you thought about studying voice? And I said, no, not really. And at the time, I was getting ready to do, um, to sing in church. And she went to the same church that my family went to. And she was there this particular Sunday when I sang a hymn called um, Spirit of God. Oh. And after the, um, after I, after I sang and the, um, day was over, she met my parents outside, and she told them that she thought that I had uh, 
a wonderful opportunity, not an opportunity, but a wonderful voice, and that um, under the right opportunities that I could uh, become a singer. And yeah. I, of course, my parents told me that, and then I, the next time that I went to see her, I said, well, why did you say that to my parents? I mean, do, do you not think that I have a future as a concert pianist? And she said, well, she said, I wouldn't give up the piano, but she said, you have a God-given talent with that voice. And she said, I would definitely pursue it. So my aunt, my Aunt Marge, uh, who was married to my mother's brother, she didn't have any children, and she sort of became my, uh, uh, what would you call it? Janice. She sort of like took me under her wing. And she had been very musical when she was a young girl. And so she uh, talked to my piano teacher, and my aunt, my, see, my mother and father were not really into music. They were, you know, average American folk, and um, they just weren't in, as involved musically as I was. I guess I was born with it. I don't know from, I don't know where it came from. But my aunt picked up on all of this because I was very interested in classical music and so on and so forth. So she arranged for me to have an audition in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Conservatory of Music. Mm. And uh, I went, and um, the teacher that I auditioned for uh, was very impressed, and she told my aunt that uh, she really thought that I had a, a wonderful future as a lyric tenor. So I started studying there. But I was being trained for opera. I was being trained as a lyric tenor for opera. Mm. And, uh, oh, and this, my teacher, um, I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, Mrs. Um, oh, damn, what was it? She was Italian. Um, I can't, I'll think of it. Began with a C. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, um, uh, she was strict. She was strict. And I had the best training uh, as a young, uh, as a young man, in my well, I wasn't a young man yet. I was in my teens. But I look back on that, and I think that if I hadn't had that training, uh, because I knew, uh, I, I learned everything about the voice, yeah. about breathing, uh, enunciation, all those things. And she was a real stickler for everything. And I just, anyway, um. I told my aunt, I said, you know what, I, I really don't, because my teacher told me, uh, Mrs. Caruso, that was her name, she told me it was going to be, uh, I would have to train for several years uh, to prepare myself for opera. Yes. And I got my aunt aside and I said, you know what, Aunt Marge, I don't want to go into opera. I really want to go into popular music. So she said, well, don't say anything to Mrs. Caruso. She said, because I've already paid for the lessons. So I went to her for about a year and a half, and then I, uh, she, was, she was having it. She was going to have a baby, and she was taking time off. And so that was the excuse I used. Uh, I didn't go back to see her. Well, she, well, she did come back. I was on something else. And I went into popular singing, and I went into nightclubs in around New Jersey and Philadelphia. And then when I graduated from high school, I decided to go to New York. I wanted to go to New York and audition for shows, and I wanted to be on Broadway. 
And anyway, that, that, I'm not going to go into all this because it's, it'll be in my book oh, <laughs> that yes. I'm writing. Oh, you're writing a book. That's wonderful. When, when, tell us about that. Is that coming out soon? Not soon. It's going to take... I, I just started taking notes for it, and um, I have a couple of publishers in mind, but uh, uh, it's going to be a very big book. I mean, it's going to be a thick book, but I'm going to tell, you know, all about my life and my growing up and uh, what happened to me in California and how I discovered... Uh, the fact that I had this talent to become other people. Yeah. And um, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to take a lot of work. Right. But yes, I'm, I, you know, but I, I think it's something that I really want to do. I've always wanted to do it. But I think this at this time is the perfect time to sit down and write it. Yes. So um, anyway, the, I was, I, I got a phone call from, I was in California and I was struggling and I was working in an insurance company because I had to get a job. But, I, but the hours, I worked at night. I worked from 5 until 1 in the morning, which is great, because it was like nightclub hours, you know? Right. So um, I got a call from a friend of mine, and he said that he was putting on a review. And at parties, I used to do, uh, I, I had become a friend of Phyllis Diller's. When she was in New York, I went to see her this particular night, and I absolutely flipped over her. I loved her, and I still do. And I went backstage and introduced myself and told her, you know, I was in show business, and she was very sweet. She was very sweet, and every time she came to New York, I went to her opening night, and I would go to her closing night. We became pals. So I went to, um, uh, actually, I went to Chicago in a show, uh-huh. and she happened to be appearing there, and so she came to see the show, and she says, God, you've got such talent, your, your voice is great, and so on and so forth. So I wound up in California, and uh, I kept in touch with her. But I would go, what happened was, she was such a big influence on me, I would go to parties, and I would do one-liners as Phyllis Stiller. <laughs> I would do these monologues, and, or parts of them, and people say, oh my God, you sound just like Phyllis Stiller, and ha-ha, and all that. Anyway, I get this call from a friend of mine who's going to put this review on, and he said, you know something, it would be so great if you could work up, uh, he said, I don't know how you would do it, but he said, if you could work up, uh, not an imitation, he said, if you could do something, if you could become Phyllis Diller, and, and I said, what? I said, you must be out of your mind. So what I did, I hung up, and I thought, this thing is going to be produced in about a month and a half, and I thought, and it was on my mind, on my mind, and I thought, there's got to be some way I can do this. So I went out and I bought her, I, I already had one of her albums, and I bought another one of her albums, and I started listening to it, and uh, I would listen to some of it, then I would take, the, take it off the phonograph, and I would I would imitate her, I would do the, do the monologues, as her, yeah. and I started freaking myself out, and I thought, oh my God, you said, you're just like Phyllis, and from <laughs> watching her, I had all of her mannerisms, so I went to another friend of mine in the business, and I said, you got to help me, I want to do this, this, I didn't know what to call it, I said, it was a take off, or whatever it was, I said, Phyllis Diller, and I said, how can you help me look like Phyllis Diller? 
<laughs> he said, well, I could slap you in the face. And he said, well, let me think about it. So he thought about it. He called me. I went to his studio. And he had a flight wig there. And he had some pictures of Phyllis. And he started to show me how to do this makeup. And he said, you're going to have to do it yourself because I haven't a clue what I'm doing. So I sat down with these pictures and I actually uh, blocked my eyebrows out and my face with makeup and I started drawing on a clown makeup, which is what she she had. I mean, she had a, she did a clown makeup, really. Mm-hmm. was based the flight wig and the dark uh, eyebrows and the pink, pale lipstick. And, it, I, and then I took some pictures and it was... They were really mind-boggling. I thought, my God, I look just like her. Wow, yeah. So I got, I went into the show, and I started, and, and they would introduce me as Phyllis Diller, and I came out, and people in the audience thought I was actually Phyllis Diller. I had gone to this guy who did the costumes, and I had him copy some of her, her dresses, these wild outfits, and I had the little boots. She wore these little uh, silver lame boots, and a cigarette holder with the long cigarette holder with a cigarette in it, and little gloves, and I, it was, and I was having a ball. I thought, my God, I'm having so much fun, I'm getting paid for this. It wasn't a whole lot of money, believe me. Right. And so I did this show, and it was, it, it got, we, were, we were booked in for like, an open-end contract. So after the first several months, one day in my apartment, I put on the Judy Garland album. Oh. And this I just is the put story it on, I love to hear. Judy, and I had, <laughs> yeah. I had her albums, and I'm listening to this album. And all of a sudden, I'm doing something else and listening, and I started, I was in the kitchen, and I started singing along with the album. And all of a sudden, I had this epiphany. <laughs> and I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I sound like Judy. And I thought, oh, no, this is, this is weird. <laughs> So I never, I didn't tell anybody, and I started working on this album, with this album, and I started singing along with her. And then all the times that I had seen her, uh, like on television, I had been absorbing her movements, the way she talked, and it was really very strange. Yes. And to me, I thought, I like, bet. God, is this, what is this? I had no idea, no, none. So I thought, I'm not telling anybody, but I'm going to get a hold of the, right, of the people that helped me with Phyllis, and I'm going to see if they can help me with the makeup and the wig and to see if I could become Judy. She was very private. I never told anybody for like two months. I knew about it for two months, mm-hmm. and uh, I had the, uh, some, a couple of costumes made, and I got a wig, uh, and the guys worked with, the guy worked with me on makeup. And it was very uncanny to me that Judy and I, when, when I was having the costumes made, the costumer said to me, it's so strange. He said, because uh, you have the same kind of a body as Judy Garland had. He said, you have a, a short neck and a, uh, a short torso and long, long legs. And I said, and he said, yeah. He said, look at these pictures. He said, I'm copying these costumes. And he said, they're built exactly the same, except you don't have big boobs. And, uh, and I said, 
village makeup and the bartender comes in and he says, Gail, he said, oh God, I just got a phone call and um, <laughs> from Judy Garland's press agent, he's bringing her in tonight to see the show. Well, I just about passed out. And I turned and I said to everybody, oh, well, I, I'm not doing Judy tonight. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do Judy. And the bartender said, well, you have to because that's one of the reasons she's coming in. I said, I can't do that. I said, you I don't believe it. Number one, I don't believe she's coming in. And number two, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do it. So I'm putting up this fight. <laughs> and yeah. so one of the guys got me aside and he said, look, you got to do it. He said, if she's here... And if she does come in, she's going to expect it. He says, you can't, you know, it's Judy Garland. She's obviously coming for a reason. And our press agent obviously told it, told her about you. Right. So I is Phyllis Stiller. It was one of the, I, I don't know what I've even talked about. I was an absolute nervous wreck. And I was looking in the audience to see if she was there yet, if she was there yet. And, and so I, I ended, ended, Phyllis ended, and nobody told me that towards the end of the Phyllis Diller thing, she came in with her friend. And the place was packed because the word got out that she was going to be there. Well, the place was jammed. And here she comes. She came in, and she was wearing a, a, a beige wool suit with a mink uh, uh, collar and a black velvet garbo hat. And, and I didn't know she had arrived. She had, And she stood in the back. She said, I don't want to get to a table until it's finished. And she was thinking, oh, my God, this is, is this Phyllis Diller? She was blown away. So I come off the stage. Nobody said anything to me. And I'm in the dressing room. And she had gotten a, a ringside table. And so one of the waiters came in. And he was very kind. And he said, Jim, can I just tell you? And he was like, no big deal. I mean, he just leaned over and he whispered in my ear. He said, Miss Marlon's here. I don't want to upset you, but he said she's here and she saw the end of Phyllis and she just loved it. And my heart was pounding. I was shaking. I was like, I'm never going to get into this makeup. This isn't going to happen. And so I sat there and I looked in the mirror and I looked at the photographs that I had on my dressing table of Judy that I would use when I was doing the makeup. And I thought, I've got to do it. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be so Judy. I have to. I can't go out there and be bad. I just can't walk through it. I thought either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And I thought, I'm going to do it. So nobody else knew that I knew she was out there because nobody wanted to upset me. But thank God the waiter told me, just very quietly. So I got dressed. I got made up, hair. I came in and did my hair. And uh, actually, at the time, Oh, this is funny. I was at the time I was using my own hair. <laughs> uh. He did my hair as Judy. Uh. I had didn't have a wig because my hair was at the time uh, it was not terribly long. But she was wearing her hair short, right. and he did a little duck tail in the back, and and my hair was dark like hers. And so they would do my hair, my own hair. Wow. So it's time to go on, and they said and now. Jim Daly's tribute to Miss Judy Garland. And there I am on the stage, and the curtains open, and I start singing. I feel a song coming on. And I didn't quite know, nobody told me where she was sitting. But all of a sudden, when I was like 
two or three bars into the song, I heard this squeal, this oh, and, it, and I knew it was her, and I looked where it came come from, and I, because of those, the lights and it being dark, I really couldn't see her that well, but I saw this, the outline of this woman, and her hands were up on her face, on her cheeks, and she did that squeal, and, and it didn't throw me, I thought, oh my God, there she is, it's her, it's Judy, and I thought, nope, it do the show, and so I did the song, and then I did the band that got away, oh. and the place was absolutely silent, you could have heard a pin drop. Wow. And I was shaking, and I thought, and I, but I was giving it my all. And I was just this, this moment. And what I did was, I had on, on the microphone that I had, because I wanted to, I, I was doing this number where when I did the band that got away, there's a part at the end of the song where there's a slight bridge where there's just music and she would turn and walk away. Because I saw her do this when I, at, on television. And I, what I wanted to do was to cry, but I couldn't cry on cue. So what I did was, this is terrible, not terrible, but I mean, I put some Vicks uh, that, um, you know, that you rub on your chest. Yes, yes, yes. I put a, a, a little bit of Vicks on the microphone. And when I turned to walk away, I would take it with my finger and shove it into my eye, you believe, to make me cry. Oh, no. Uh -huh. Oh, boy. And, and I would... Turned away, walked away, stuck the bits in my eye, burning like hell. And I turned around and tears were coming out of my eyes. And I finished the rest of the song. Oh, <laughs> and boy. The and people thought, oh, my, oh, my. <laughs> now, after that, I had to do Over the Rainbow, yeah. which was perfect. So I just kept on crying. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I sat and I got on and I, there was a stool out there because I couldn't sit down on the dress. I hadn't done the number where I might came back and flashing because I didn't do that much time. Right. But I sat on a stool and I sang Over the Rainbow and I sang it to her. Mm -hmm. And she was just, it's like a statue. She just sat there. I couldn't see the expression on her face. All I could see was her silhouette in her hands. Oh. And the audience, of course, they were watching her, watching me, and watching me watch, singing to her. And at the end of the of that my my uh, uh, fifteen minutes, the curtains closed and they opened again for me to take a bow. And Judy Garland got out of her seat and climbed up onto the stage with me. She took her hat off, her garbo hat, and she got the audience was out of their mind. I saw this figure coming towards me and getting onto the stage and I thought, oh my God, is somebody going to beat me up or what is it? All of a sudden she stands up and she walks into the spotlight and it's Judy Garland. And she puts her arms, she throws her arms around my neck and hugs me and she turned and we both took the bow. Oh. She was standing beside me. Oh. We both took the bow and the audience is screaming and the curtains closed. And they were still carrying on, still. But I said, don't, they said, no, don't open this ending again because you're going to lose the match. And we stood there on the stage looking at each other. And she, she looked into my face. <laughs> the first thing she said to me was, you know, I never realized I was that pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed. And she was, she was so sweet. And in a, because in a split second, 
threw her arms around my neck and she hugged me and she said, her mood changed. And just like, like turning over a dime, she said, she got very emotional and she said, oh, could you please call me? I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. And she started repeating her telephone number, which I still have in my phone book. She kept repeating her phone number. She said, will you call me? Will you, I'm so lonely. And I said, oh my God, Judy, of course I will call you. Of course. So That's amazing. We stepped off the stage and she came into my dressing room. And her press agent came around the back of the stage entrance and came into the dressing room. And the show was, the rest of the show was going on. But I had, I was finished and she, I thought, oh my God. She came to my dressing table and and she said, I just can't believe what I just saw. She said, Oh, you are so talented. And so she I she said, May I sit down at your table? And I said, Yeah. So she was fascinated. She sat down at my dressing table and I sat next to her in a chair. And she was looking at everything on my dressing room table. And she was looking at this photograph of her. She said, oh, I remember that. That was that was taken at a rehearsal on my television show. And she was just absolutely having a ball. There were wigs hanging around from the different uh, things that people did in the show, people had done. And the reason she would try the wigs on, she was putting wigs on and looking in the mirror, making faces. And she was like happy. She was so happy to be around show people. Mm. And if you were, I mean, she was the show person. I just got into the business of God. And She'd say that, and it was the most amazing evening. I'll never forget it. And she took a, a cocktail napkin, and she picked up uh, an eyebrow pencil, and she wrote her num- number down on it. And she said, and she folded it up, and she put it in my hands, and she said, will you call me? She said, you would call me. And I said, I will call you. I will absolutely call you. So we sat there, and we, she told the stories about MGM and it was about two it was about quarter to two wow. in the morning wow. and the owner came back and said you know we have to close up and all that and so she didn't want to go she did not want to go and so she said to Tom Tom Green was her press agent and he had a house in an area called Silver Lake which wasn't far from the club and she said I have a wonderful idea. Let's all go back to Tom's house. <laughs> and she said, Tom. And he said, yep, fine, Judy. Okay. So we all went to her, to his house, and sat up till 6 o'clock in the morning. She was stone cold sober. She was telling stories. She was fascinated with me. She kept looking at me. And she said, I still can't believe it. I just can't believe it. She said, do you think maybe you could go on the road for me? Oh, I want the money. <laughs> well, let's see, where was I? Oh, we got the part about being at Tom Green's house. Yes. And uh, as I said, she she was telling us, oh, it was an incredible night, morning. Uh, as I said, I think I, you got it on tape. We were there till like six, I, yes. six o'clock in the morning. And she was telling us stories about different stars at MGM and people and she she would we would be laughing and she'd look over at me and she'd say she'd say 
and uh, I'll read it. Okay. One minute. Okay. I have to get the phone over here. Okay. Um, dear Jimmy, I want to thank you again. I, you know what? <laughs> My glasses are in the other room because it's, I do wear glasses, reading glasses. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right, let me see how I can make it up. I want to thank you again for putting on your marvelous show for me last evening. Your comedy routines, pantomimes, and your illusion of me and everything are all simply grand. I had a wonderful time watching you and enjoying myself immensely. And in the next paragraph, it says, keep up the good work. You are wonderfully talented and my very best wishes to you. You are a valuable addition to the world of show business. Love, Judy Garland. Beautiful. And I, yeah, I uh, cherish that. And uh, anyway, as I was saying, we got, I got that on a Sunday night, he brought it in. And oh, I couldn't believe it. So, the next Friday, now, Tom Green, I gave him my phone number, and he called me at home to tell me that he and Judy were coming in to see the show on Friday night, the week after she was in. Wow. And she came in every Friday. Now, during the time, I was working, <laughs> I was working on Barbara Streisand. Hmm. I don't know how, I thought somebody suggested it to me, and I thought, oh, what? Anyway, I was a big fan of Barbara's, and so once again, I go to the costume people, and I go to the uh, makeup guy, and because I, I, no, started all off, I put on, I thought, Barbara, I'm on a tenor, and I put on her album from Central Park, and I'm singing along with it, and it wasn't falsetto, I wasn't singing, I never sing in falsetto, I don't know. I don't know how I could duplicate her voice. I don't know. It's a head voice. And I am a, a tenor, a high tenor. And I'm singing along with this, and I'm thinking, she's singing people, and I'm singing along with her. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I could do this. I think I could do this. And you did. <laughs> so I did. To make a long story short, I did. And she, Judy, happened to be there the night that I put it into the show. And I had on, now she wore on one of her specials, a sailor suit. It was a gown, but it was a sailor collar and sailor cuffs. And I did, we duplicated it. And that's what I wore with the page boy wig. And Judy was, <laughs> now I did, so I took Phyllis out for the time being. And I would do Barbara in the beginning of the show. And then I would go up and go back and do Judy. <laughs> so that night, she came backstage. She always came backstage. That was like an unwritten thing that happened. Whenever Judy Garland was there, she, after the show, she would come backstage and we would party. So she came backstage this night and she said, You know, you're driving me crazy. I don't know who you are anymore. She said, Maybe I do somebody else every time I come here. She said, Barbara, she said, I can't believe it. And she said, You know. 
then I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and I thought, screw the beach. <laughs> I'm not going to go to the beach. I'll, I'll go out there and pretend I went to the beach, but I'm not going to go to the beach. <laughs> and I said, well, you know what? I said, how is to go to the beach? And I said, uh, till about one. <laughs> I never went to the beach till noon. And I thought, uh, she said, oh, that's perfect. She said, we'll have a lot of time together. <laughs> and so I drove out to the beach, and I sat in my car. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to get out and get all that grease on me and lay out the towel and lay in the sun. No, I'm going to see Judy today. So I just sat in the car, and I, I'm actually, I, I, I had been with her. Uh, this was like, well, she came in that Friday, and she came in the next Friday. I called her in that in the middle, in between between the first time she came out and the second time, and that's when I called her. The, the uh, Capitol Records had done the number and all that crap. So, so I'm going to go see Judy Garland, and she gave me the directions, and I drove up. I had I had an old I had a second hand Falcon, a Falcon. I'm 
in the same outfit that she had on when she opened the front door. <laughs> and she said, what do you think? <laughs> I said, what do I think? I said, I, I loved you before this, but now I'm, I love you even more. And she said, well, just, and she just very offhanded. She said, well, there's a couple things that I wanted to see that I, I probably hadn't seen before, but I just wanted to, you know, bring, bring them up and let you see because I know you have a very, very intelligent mind. You're very intelligent. And I'm sure you've absorbed everything. I said, oh, yes, I did. Oh, oh, I absorbed everything. <laughs> <laughs> and so she went back having the glass of ice tea. She continued the conversation about how I was growing up. And, <laughs> and I'm shaking. I'm shaking like a fucking leaf. Oh, excuse my French. <laughs> I mean like a leaf. Yeah. And I, like, I can't wait to get out of here to get to a phone because nobody's going to believe this the afternoon with oh. I had just had. And so it was, it was about 5 o'clock when I left. And I had got stuck in traffic going back because I at the time I was living in um, Pasadena in uh, Highland Park, Tesco Highland Park. And it was way up on top of a, a mountain. I had all this driving to do. Well, I didn't get home till 7. I came in. I was starving. I went right to the phone, and I thought, you're never going to believe where I've just dumped her. You're not going to believe the afternoon I've had. Well, a lot of people thought I was bullshitting them. Oh, excuse me. Another bad word. They thought I was kidding them on. And I said, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And, and they said, oh, 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 really? Well, what was she like? And, da, da, da. And, and I told them about the, putting the phonograph on and all that. She said, you're kidding. She actually got into the costumes. I said, yes. It was like she was doing a concert for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got around, of course, and I thought, people are going to think that. Yeah, I so hung up and I thought, yeah, it, it, it could sound like a lie. It could sound like I made it up. But everybody that knows me knew that she was, she was there. Right. And, and she kept coming in. Yeah. And um, she came in. I remember exactly what she wore every time she came in, the different outfits. One night she came in at, to the show and she was, she was gorgeous. She was, of course her show wasn't in color, but she was wearing a long pink people beaded evening gown that she had worn on television. You know, when she left the show, she took all the costumes with her. <laughs> and, you know, they were all gorgeous. Jean-Louis made this particular gown for her. And she, it was like, it had um, long sleeves, cufflinks, like a man's cufflink shirt, but it was all bugle beads. And it was cut low in the front, and like a measuring collar, and a slit up the side. And she had just come. She said, I'm sorry I didn't get to see the beginning of the show, but she said, we were, and Tom Green was with her for breaking. She said, and she told us the story. Well, two days later, it hit the press. What happened? She said, but she told us what happened before it hit the press. She said, oh, we had to go to this party, and, you know, the Hollywood party, and, and she was doing her number, and she said, well, Pat Lawford was there. Pat Lawford was Peter Lawford's wife. And, or had been, yeah, she was, he was, she was still married to him. But she was also um, uh, President Kennedy's uh, sister. And Kennedy was, uh, had been assassinated at that, you know, by the time she came in and see me. And uh, Marilyn had died, and we talked about that one night because she and Marilyn were very close. And... Uh, Anyway, she said, now, Pat Lawford, she said, we were standing there talking and, talking, and she walked by, and I said, hi, Pat, and she ignored me. So she said, 
I just stopped behind her and poured my drink down the back of her dress. <laughs> and she said, oh, she didn't like it. Well, that's exactly what happened. And then two days later, it was in the press how Judy Garland, drunk, was at this cocktail party and had gotten unruly and had poured a drink on Pat Lawford. <laughs> and that's when I realized that the press does twist things. Because when she came in to see me that night, she was not drunk at all. Right. And she told me, and Tom Green was standing right there to back her up. He said, yeah, she poured the drink down the back of Pat Lawford's dress. <laughs> so when it came out of the paper, I thought, oh, give me a break. And anyway, um, she, uh, we went up to Tom Green's house a couple of other times.
all of the chorus kids and the leads and all the celebrities would come in because they had an 8 o'clock show and a 12 o'clock show. So they couldn't see me until 4 in the morning. Luckily, I had this late show and everybody was there. All the celebrities and all the chorus kids, plus the gamblers and all that. And it got out that Liza and Allie were going to do this. One night, it was going to be one time. We weren't going to do it every night. One time. And it got out and the place was jammed. And I will never forget this. That night, Liza Minnelli came to my dressing room and I was, and, and my dresser said, Liza is in Hawaii, she wants to see you. And I said, asked her just to let me, and now, that this time I was wearing a wig for Judy. And I was all made up and I was sitting in my robe and I said, just ask her to wait for just a couple minutes and I put my wig on and her dress combed it out and everything. And I'm sitting in front of the dressing room here as Liza. I don't ask me how I do this, but I knew that she was going to come into that dressing room and I was going to be Mama and she was going to be Liza and she was going to talk to me as Liza to her mother. And that's exactly what she did. She came in and the first things out of her, first words out of her mouth were, Mama, are you okay? And I found myself becoming Judy and she said, yeah, darling, I'm fine. And she came into the dressing room and she had a little box in her hand. And she said, Mama, I want you to have this because she said, I think you, she, she was making it up as she was going. Said, I think you left this back in LA, but I wanted, I wanted you to have it. It was Judy's pearl ring that Judy always wore. And I have it, I still wear it. And she gave it to me and I opened this ring box and I almost felt, I almost started to cry. She said, Mama, I go, can I, can I do your lips the way I used to? 
and on my dressing table was uh, were two lipsticks, two lipstick brushes. One was was one that I used to fill in the lips with, and the other was Judy's, the one that she had left on my dressing table years before. And I always had it there, and her lipstick was still on it, but I never used it because I it was just something that I wanted to hang on to, and her lipstick color was on that that lipstick brush, and I had matched the lipstick up. And she looked at the table, and she said, and I said, yes, darling, you can do my lips. And she looked at the table, and she picked up her mother's lipstick brush. And I, I said, oh, darling, you, you use the other one. And so she, oh, okay. So she picked the other one up, and she sat there, and she did my lips. Uh, as if I were her mother, the way that she used to do her mother's lips. Mm-hmm. And after the show, it was maybe a few nights later when we were together, mm-hmm. and I told her that that other lipstick brush had belonged to her mother. Wow. She had left it inadvertently in my dressing room. Yeah, she was just a little blown away. Anyway, she did my lips, she left, I got dressed, and I went on, I opened the show, and as as she did it at the Palladium, and I said, and now Miss Liza Minnelli, and I said, hello, Liza. Hey, hello, Liza. And she went out to hello, Mama. And the audience was standing up. Oh. They were standing up. We had the Palladium costume that she and her mother had done. We did all the songs. Uh, we had arrangements done up. She paid for them. Oh. She, she had them all written up. And, uh, and some of them she had with her in Vegas. She had the original uh, arrangements. And she we sang to them. I never in a million years knew about this, and I never read about it. Mm-hmm. A friend of uh, uh, Judy that I've remained in touch with over the years, mm-hmm. this is, I, get, I don't know how many, a few years ago, told me the story about how she and Doris Day were bosom buddies in the 50s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. And they used to plan their airline trips so that they could fly together when they were doing a concert or something or Doris was doing, they would go to New York together or they would go to England together or they would come to New York and come out to L.A. They were like, they, they, would, they, they loved to fly together. Oh, boy. <laughs> and chit chat and talk, Doris, Dad, and Judy. Is that funny? That doesn't even sound probable. <laughs> yeah, but she adored Doris and Doris adored Judy. Is that, that is so off the wall. It is. But it's so sweet. It's yeah. so sweet. It is. Um, pushing the science and all that. But there was a moment in her life where she didn't have to use cigarettes. Probably with Judy. Because <laughs> 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 in those days, she could smoke on airlines. Now you can't. Right, but yeah. But Day and Judy Garland were friends. Is that funny? That's funny, I, yeah. I just, I think that is so sweet. Yes. <laughs> oh. Oh. Anyway, my friend, I yes. think that you've got a lot there and it's, I don't know where it came from, but I, <laughs> my I, memory is very good. You you have a, a wonderful memory, and to remember these stories today, I think I will tell everyone now the name of this interview will be called Memories of Judy Garland, but it would be called Memories of Judy Garland and My Time Spent With Her by Jim Bailey. And oh, that's beautiful. I think that would be the perfect name for this because that is what you're doing. You're reliving your memories and memories are a wonderful, precious thing and I really um, I truly believe that for you today. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank that's you. beautiful.
Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Jim, I want to thank you today for being a part of the website and um, obviously doing the interview today. It's been much fun, and I really believe that you were able to conjure up in your mind and um, bring to mind many wonderful memories of your time as you grew up in show business and, of course, meeting and um, spending time with Judy Garland and all the memories that you have of her. So I thank you. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I, uh, uh, Judy is a very special person to me, and uh, she was very nice to me and loving, and um, uh, I, I miss her. I do miss her a lot. Um, I've, uh, I, I, I have dreams about her at times, and I know that she's up there somewhere looking down on me, yes. and uh, I do believe that she's still a part of my life, and she always will be, yes. always. Yes, I, I, I'm sure of it, and I'm sure that when she passed away, I'm sure it was like a death in the family for you, I'm sure. Absolutely, way, absolutely. Yes. Yes. But um, uh, she, brought a, she brought a lot of happiness to a lot of people. And, yes. Uh, as a, a, a reviewer said, to, or no, actually it was Liza said that to me, of me, that um, she felt that I was continuing her mother's career, which should never have ended when it did. And that, to me, is a very great compliment, and I'm honored. I'm very honored. That's, that is an honor. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time again today, and it has been wonderful. And I do hope that we can do this again and have um, more stories from you in the future for everyone to listen and have available on the website. Oh, that'd be great. That would be great, Aaron. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. you take care now. Yes, you too. Okay, God bless. Yes, you too. <laughs>